All hail King Jesus. How beautiful. So last week, we were looking at the end of, or near the middle of uh, James 4, and we went through verse 12. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to James 4. We'll continue on in verse 13 in a moment. We saw relational conflict in the church and James addressing it, and he addressed the, the reason for the conflict for, and then issued a strong reprimand and gave them some responses of repentance. The reason for the conflict, he, he explained, was the problem is that your passions and your desires are at war within you. You covet and you want. Now, again, there can be different reasons why there's tensions in a church. Oftentimes, it's very unnecessary things, but sometimes there are matters worth contending for, important things. But James is clearly upset with what he sees here. They're, they're coveting and not getting, and then battles then ensue. He says, you don't have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. It's an issue of motivation and selfish desires. Then he issues that strong reprimand. He says, you adulterous people. James sees the behavior of this New Testament church and likens it to the behavior of the unfaithful Israelites who chased after idols and, and after other gods. So James is essentially saying, listen, you, you claim to love Jesus, but your real affections are for yourselves and for the world. Then he makes that powerful statement, friendship with, with the world is enmity with God. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And we saw that John's epistle would define friendship with the world as the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we say, okay, why does it matter so much? And the, react, the reality is God longs jealously for you. If you remember, I had you stop and think for a minute about the reason we should be so grateful that God is jealous for our heart, for our attention, for our affection. James hits them very hard, declares them adulterous, but then he says these wonderful things that God gives more grace. Good news. God gives more grace. He issues some what I call responses of repentance. Submit, surrender to his authority. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. What a wonderful thing that we saw when Jesus was, was tempted. Jesus used scripture to reply to the devil and he ultimately left him. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Again, re remembering the prodigal and how that father came running when he saw that his son had turned toward home. Cleanse your hands and your hearts. No more of this double-mindedness that now that you've recognized it, change, refresh the way you live. And he says those incredible words, be wretched, mourn and weep and turn your laughter to gloom. This idea of when we come to a realization of, we've, of the fact that we've been loving the world, our friendship with the world has been more important to us, that should break our hearts when we consider it. Humble yourselves. Again, that overarching theme that, seems coming, that keeps coming through James here is this idea of pride is bad. You need to humble yourselves. 
Stop the slander and the judging of your neighbors. In today's text, James points out the foolish pride of making plans without considering the sovereignty of God. He highlights the pride-based making and declaring of plans without considering God's providence. Arrogant presumption when in reality there's uncertainty and there's brevity of life. He extends an alternative and calls for believers to do what is right. I've entitled today's message, Unfavorable Substitution. Would you look with me now at James chapter 4, starting in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your magnificent word. And Father, it is with humility that we come before you, holy God, and we just acknowledge that you are God and there is no other. And Father, we stand in awe of you. And Father, we are grateful that we can approach you because of the faith we have in our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we've considered, just as we share communion, that we can be your children by faith because of what Christ accomplished on the cross in the empty tomb. Father, we are grateful. Lord, while we claim faith in you and, and put our faith and trust in Christ, we're given clear instruction then as to how that should look in our lives. And Lord, I pray that we will be faithful to examine your word carefully, to seek your spirit's direction and live the way you would have us live. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Last week, I, I breezed through verses 11 and 12 rather quickly as, as responses of the repentant. But I think they also help us set a focus on today's text as well. So I want you to look back with me. Let's jump back two verses to verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and a judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? For many years, I had made it my practice to stop into a local McDonald's very early in the morning, and I did it for the purpose of chatting with some of the men that would gather there. I made some friends over time, some of whom started coming to church with me, and I even had the joy of baptizing one of them. I was quite surprised when I left one morning as one of them followed me out. He said, listen, I want to talk to you. And so we stood in the parking lot, and he told me that 
two of the men that were showing up at McDonald's from time to time were saying some very bad things about me. I said, really? You know, I kind of thought he was joking at first. I said, well, what are they saying? He said, they say you run drugs. <laughs> okay. I'm thinking, what would make them think that? I mean, is it when I go out and fold myself into my 10-year-old Honda Civic with a quarter million miles on it? Is that the indication that I'm making a lot of money? I asked a few questions, and it led me to the answer. I'll return to that. James puts forth this intense line of reasoning. He connects talking bad about another or lying about them with talking bad about God or his law. Simply put might be to say, if you speak of one, against one of God's children, you're speaking against him. Talking bad about fellow believers. Playing judge. In verse 12 there it said, there is only one lawgiver and judge. Remember, Jesus warns in Matthew 7, do not judge or you too will be judged. And then he goes on to say, why would you be worried about the speck of sawdust in somebody's eye when there's a plank sticking out of yours, right? What a great illustration. And remember from James back in chapter 2, verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Understand that James is not saying that we're not to be discerning. There's a place for, for making judgments. But he's saying, here, listen, do not slander, do not lie about someone or share that which is not true. It violates a basic law from the, from the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20. You're speaking the... the Enemies, native tongue, John 8. Don't lie. Tell the truth. But he, he's also saying, listen, don't, don't spread negative information. Spreading the information containing the faults and sins of others, even when or if the information is true. So whether it's lies or, or straight-up gossip, sometimes we will get creative in our delivery of that, even in the Christian circle. I'm sure you already know, but we really need to pray for so-and-so, don't we? Right? Hey, they're doing this, but that's just me. I mean, I, I wouldn't, but that's just me. A reputation can take a lifetime to establish and minutes to destroy. So why, why did I jump back to those verses? Uh, I think they're closely linked to the, today's text. You see, the problem that we see in 11 and 12 there is pride. The pride of placing ourself in the role of judge. He now is going to address the pride of thinking we know what tomorrow holds or we can predict it. Look at verse 13 again. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. 
He starts out with this, come now, or, or, or this, now listen, or come you who say. And I want you to know that he's speaking directly to his audience here. And that may seem like a strange thing to say, but we'll see next week in chapter 5 that there's a shift in that. He's determined to get their attention, and he's speaking of those who were perhaps merchants, maybe landowners. There was two primary sources of a, of a good income in those days. It was landowners and merchants, and just the way it's worded there might suggest these were merchants, but... We ask, why is he targeting them now? Why is he going after this like he is? Especially about planning. Don't you and I want to push back here and say, isn't it good and wise to plan and to work? Proverbs 6, hard work is respectable. Proverbs 10, verse 4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. What's James doing here? And maybe we want to say, is James just nitpicking here? Really, of all the things that James is, is listing, he's really adding this to the list? Is this really that big of a deal? If a farmer hopes to harvest a crop in the fall, he, he will wisely plan by cultivating and planting seed in the spring. Why such an emphatic statement to get the attention of these people? I think we will see today that James is actually pointing out three major concerns in this text. The first one is this, that, that there is uh, planning presumptuously. Presuming that God will allow things to be as you say and as you plan. Just like we play judge in verses 11 and 12, kind of taking the Lord's seat there. Now we plan and live as though God has no say in the matter. We are functioning or attempting to as though we are the ones in ultimate control. And I think we kind of like that don't we? We want some control. We think we can decide the schedule. Notice that it says, today or tomorrow. In other words, I'll go when I want to go. You'll chart, chart the route out here. We will go to such and such city. I'll go here if I want and there if I want. We'll decide the duration of the stay. We'll spend a year there. We make our plans for action. We will engage in business. And we presume or foretell our success. Make a profit. Maybe some of you are still thinking it. What is the big deal? You're probably not alone. It's the American way, or at least it was. Scheduling is wise, right? Anybody here not live life by a schedule? By a calendar? By reminders? Right? Anybody not chart out the, the future a little bit? Have some idea what's going to happen? I can tell you with some level of certainty what I will be preaching in February of 2025. Am I wrong to do that? If we go on a trip, are you going to chart the route? 
My, my family has a vacation scheduled here in a little while. We're, we pretty much know when we're going to leave, when we're going to return, and basic direction we'll take. Having a business model is certainly important to success, right? Setting a goal is often the most important in, ingredient of success. These are standards behaviors. But look again at what James is saying. He continues his thought here in verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You are presuming upon God as to whether or not you will see tomorrow or next year. Now again, I personally defend this kind of planning saying, isn't it understood or implied that if I die next week, I will not make it to this city or that and spend a year there? I mean, let, let's be simple here, right? The dead do not have to give explanation for missed appointments. Fair? It's, uh, it's understood. But, but James identifies this stacking up of presumptions and is saying, listen, you are uncertain of tomorrow. Your life is like a vapor, like a fog that's there in the morning but burns away as the sun rises. If any of you men are short on dad jokes, you could say you tried catching the fog, but you missed. It's terrible, I know. Some of you are going, what? You missed it. Verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. Paul said to the church in Corinth, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. If the Lord is willing. I'll spend some time with you if the Lord permits. Paul, of all people, certainly encountered interruptions, didn't he? Whether being imprisoned or, or beaten, shipwrecked, or, or whatever. He knew for certain that God had the final say. He could make all the plans he wanted, but it was ultimately God, God who had that final say. So the first concern that James highlights is planning presumptuously. In verse 16, we see the second concern as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. The second concern is boasting in your arrogance. Now, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Boast in your arrogance. It would seem that James is seeing this presumptuous planning as arrogance and then boast about it as being prideful about your arrogant thinking. Think about that. Prideful about your arrogant thinking. The sin of arrogant boasting. Identifying something as certain when it is not. Words getting ahead of reality. Rooted in pride and built up upon assumptions. Sometimes translated the pride of life. I enjoy watching some sports I don't enjoy listening to athletes being interviewed, especially if there's arrogance. 
when that talk gets ahead of things and then they don't match up to it. Now, mind you, if you hung around my house and listened to me as I play board games with my kids or, or games in the lawn, I'm the trash talker of the century with my kids. But, you know, if nothing else, I'll just beat them up. I'm bigger. But this genuine arrogance, right? Remember from last week, boasting appears in that First John 2 in verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. So planning presumptuously, boasting in your arrogance, and the third concern is found in verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. The sin of omission Sin is missing the mark, right? Most commonly, we define sin in terms of doing the wrong thing or committing sin, sin of commission. Sin of omission is failing to do what is right. We know what is right and choose not to do it, then we have an obedience issue. I would suggest to you that this is a really, really tough sin to handle. It can be much harder to discern we easily identify sins that we are not to commit, right? We, we can make that list. We don't steal, we don't slander, we don't covet, we don't lust or commit adultery or murder, right? Those are pretty easy. We know the things that we're not to do. But what about the things that we should do but don't? Doesn't that get a little tougher? Because these then fall into the things of, well, I, I'm limited. I only have so much time or I only have so many resources, I cannot possibly do all the good that, that, that could be done because I, I'm only one person and I only have 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week. Pastors can be good whiners. They're quick to say there's more work that, than, than you could ever do. Some of you might get frustrated with pastors at, from time to time and you'll say things like, well, why don't they or why didn't they? Why didn't he? The pastors will list off, there's calls, there's visits, there's message to write, there's books to read, conferences to attend, meetings, and, meetings to attend, or to, to lead, weddings, funerals, counseling, confrontations, emails, prayer, you got to fit prayer in there somewhere, and then home life if you can get there. Is he whining? Yeah, he's whining. I'm whining a little bit. Uh, but you're all busy. We're all busy, right? We can all make our own list. The million-dollar question here then becomes, for, for all of us, how do we know what good we should do? How do we know? Perhaps the parable of the talents comes to mind. Remember, the, the parable is five talents are given to the one, two talents and one talent. The one with, with five comes back and says, Master, look, I, I took your, your five and I, and, and I made five more. Well done. The one with two says, I, I took your two talents and, and, and I went and I turned them into four. Here's, here's your four talents. Well done. And the one with the one goes, uh, Look, Master, I know you're tough, so I, I buried the talent. Here it is. It's, it's yours. And What? You didn't even put it where it could, interest could be made? You evil servant. 
So maybe the question is better asked by following with another question, and that is, what do you have? What gifts do you have? What talents do you have? What are your resources? Your passions and your provisions, and how do you use them? If you stood in judgment for this right now, what would the Lord say? Would the Lord say, I gave you, you fill in the blank, and you did nothing with it? Or I gave you and you kept it all to yourself? Or I sent so-and-so and you sent them away? We say, well, what about the things that we, we don't know? I mean, there's things that we, we've got to be prepared for. There's uncertainty in, in life. If I'm too generous now, then what's going to happen when I've got to help pay for college? Or what, will there be enough? Yet we know that my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. So what do we do? What do I do? One of my personal goals is to try to respond to what the Lord lays on my heart. A man came to my church office in Illinois and he was seeking money for a bus ticket to get to Chicago. And I I told him, I'm sorry, that's not something that we do. And I'm thinking, how am I going to take care of him and have him not be frustrated and yet not be able to solve his problem? I began thinking of the the parable of the Good Samaritan, thinking, am I going to see this man in his need and I'm going to be like one of those who goes to the other side of the road and walks by around him or am I going to go and attend to this man's needs? And I know what you're thinking. You have to always go, okay, is that the real need or what's the real issue? Then I remembered that I was heading to Chicago the very next day for a meeting. And this mental wrestling match just went in my mind. Because in my mind, I was thinking, oh, I would love just a quiet ride in my car to Chicago by myself. And frankly, this man didn't have the best hygiene. And I'm thinking about me and him in this little Honda. But then I thought, this man would be sitting next to a preacher for two hours, which means this man's going to hear about Jesus. I bought him dinner and drove him to a hotel and arranged to pick him up the next morning. I went in to the hotel lobby the next morning realizing I didn't even know his last name. So I'm up there trying to ask for a room number and they're going, what's his name? And I can only give a first name. And there's some guys over there having donuts and coffee in a table nearby, kind of watching this dialogue. And I'm like, well, I got to find him. And they're like, well, how do you, we can't help you. And then finally, this man comes out and he's still carrying the two backpacks he was carrying the day before. 
And we went out and got into my little Honda and we began driving to Chicago. Things didn't go as I had hoped in that he was asleep before I hit the on-ramp to the highway and he slept all the way to where I was taking him. So I only brief to, briefly talked to him about Jesus. But to make matters worse, the men who were in the hotel lobby that day assumed that I was helping this man run drugs and they began to tell people that I was a drug runner. Now, in fairness, as I look back on it, the man did have two backpacks that were stuffed full and he was still wearing the same clothes as he did the night before. So maybe, maybe I did, I don't know. And the elders can have a meeting later and decide what to do with me. But the question is, did I do the wrong thing? And I would suggest to you, no. Because I was willing to have my plans interrupted for the needs of others. I had something that he needed. I gave what I had in hopes that God would use it. People, as a body of Christ, we all have our part to play. Now jump back with me for a minute to this presuming in the future. I mean, how big a deal is this? Based upon the emphasis that James places on it, it is a big deal. Why? Kent Hughes makes a strong point. He makes a bold statement with this. He says, making our plans without taking God into account with no thought about divine providence is really atheism in practice or practical atheism. It's a bold proclamation there. It's this foolish self-dependence. So we might proclaim faith in Jesus Christ and we might be able to tell you all about faith in Jesus Christ and how to, how to receive Christ, but in, in practical reality, we do not allow that, fact, that faith to factor into our daily choices and our schedule. As a matter of fact, for many of us, the reason we don't, ha we don't do the things we ought to do is we've got our schedule so packed full of the things that we think are important that meet our goals and we spend all of our time and resources to do that when in reality there's no room even for the Spirit of God to lead us to do something different in which He might do what only He can do. We call him Lord, but do we act like a servant? What's the relationship? It comes down to a question. This life that I live, with, with the energy that I have, the, the, the physical life that I have, do I live it like it is mine or do I live it like it is his? That's what, really what it comes down to. We say it and we even demonstrate it when we go through the waters of baptism. We're really saying we're dying to self. We're rising to new life in Christ, right? We're saying my life is now in Christ. And yet sometimes our schedules and the things that we say we're going to do, we plan to do, really leave no room for God to be God because we are busy being God of our own lives. And that is an unfavorable substitution. Acts 17 says, In him we live and move and have our being. Colossians 3, do everything as unto Christ. 
letting God be God in our daily lives. Willing to let our plans be disturbed for Jesus Christ. We just have to be careful that we aren't moving ourselves into a place that we're not supposed to take. This isn't don't, don't make plans. It's, it's, a, it's saying, Lord, all these plans that I make, I ask you to guide me. I ask for your wisdom and I seek your word as I make these plans and I want my pri- priorities to be priorities that you would have for my life. And, and God, give me the willingness and, and the heart to even let go of them in light of what you might lead me to do that's different even though it violates what I think should happen. All for your glory. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we do just commit ourselves to you and we ask you to be Lord of all. We ask you to superintend our lives, our schedules what we do with what you've given us. And Father, may we take inventory in our lives a little differently, not so much what we have or what we can do, but maybe our inventory looks a little different. We start saying, God, what have you given me that I can be a blessing to others with, that I can serve you with, that your name would be exalted. And Father, we give you all the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.